the unknown assailant then entered the cabin one by one, took a gun, and killed each member of the family. Murders, mysteries, unexplained stories, and our family's crazy opinions on them all. Join us now. The Family School of Thought is in session. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's version of the Family School of Thought. I'm glad to see everybody here. <clears throat> How's everybody doing today? Great. Good. Dee, how you doing? Sounds like you're doing good. Just lovely. Lovely. Okay. <laughs> good. Well, it's pretty cold here in Michigan. The other day on the way to work, yesterday on the way to work, it was minus seven degrees. So that's pretty cold. Oh, wow. Um, tomorrow it, we're under advisories. It's the wind chill's supposed to be. Um, did it say 12? It's only supposed to be 10 degrees and then nine below zero. And we're in the mild stage where we could be in the danger stage by morning. Mm. So I'm wondering if we'll have a two hour delay because the wind chill factor is going to be so cold. Mm -hmm. They said, if you don't have to be outside, don't. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Right. It's well, cold. I know it's cold in Texas right now. Yeah. It's warming up. Jordan. It's warming up, but Jordan lost power last night and it was like 30 degrees. So and, and he's still without power. He's still without power, yeah. Yeah, I talked to him. But tonight. he does have a fireplace. I didn't realize he had an actual fireplace in his house. So he does have that. So he's staying warm, but no yeah. power, <laughs> no internet. And then he he's got gas, so he's got hot water and he can cook on the stove so. so it's not so bad it's not too will survive wow is he um except for his garage doors oh no what will what he do what okay. did i hate to get into all these details but how is the garage door broken like broken i don't know i don't know i i, mean, I don't know either no power so he can't open the garage door right well that's what i said but no he well, said it's all mangled up the garage door broken because of the freezing storm or was it just already it broken? You know what it was there was a lot of tree branches that were falling because they were frozen. Like they were, you know, so they were breaking off. So maybe a tree branch um, hit it. No, he didn't. I mean, he said that the wheels, when he put it up or oh, something. maybe they were frozen. Yeah, because it looked like he tried to open it without, you know, like when you pull the string when you lose power to open right. it manually. And um so yeah, maybe the wheels froze and they like shattered or something. I don't know. Well, and, sure and having all that doors are a little bit different down in the south, right? With, like otherwise, the the like, um, is there anybody staying with them? Yeah, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's yeah. About that. Yeah. Okay, right, let's get on with today's show, though. <laughs> yes. Cass, how is the weather in Portland, Oregon? Uh, it's cold. It's not that cold. Um, it was about 29 degrees when I woke up this morning. Wow. Um, but it was, but it was like really sunny and bright. So it kind of made up for it. I was outside kind of most of the morning and it wasn't too bad. I was in, only in like a sweater. Oh, well, it looks really nice. Um, at your house, Jess. It's always nice here. Yeah. <laughs> always and, nice. And and see, I'm on location. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Anybody recognize that place? It's not our cabin. 
trying no, to think. Okay. We're, anyway. Anyways, let's get rolling. I'm sure we'll find out. Jesse, you got some uh, strange facts for us from history. Yes. So I have a, a fun fact. Um, history, unexplained mysteries. This one is not really super unexplained, but um, it's a myth that's that's gone through the sports world. So this is Babe Ruth's called shot. We've all heard of that, right? We all know mm -hmm. who Babe Ruth is, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. For any of our listeners, right. viewers, it is like one of the greatest all of all time baseball players. Um, I thought it was a candy bar. <laughs> but it's he, that too. He the 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 curse of the Red Sox is linked to Babe Ruth trading to the Yankees um, from the Red Sox. Um, when they, well, this was going way back before they won the World Series in 2000. This isn't the facts. Never mind. Let's not get into those baseball facts. So this is Babe Ruth's called shot. It was the um, top of the fifth inning in game three of a Major League Baseball's 1932 Fall Classic. The New York Yankees were up two games in the World Series against their opponents, the Chicago Cubs. Um, game three was tied four to four. The legendary Babe Ruth stepped up to the plate, and after two called balls and two strikes, he raised two fingers to point out over the plate, past the pitcher, and deep into center field. What uh, happened next has been told in stories for decades after. Um, Babe Ruth hit a monstrous home run directly into the stands where he had pointed, and the history was made. Um, or was it? To this day, baseball historians argue about whether Babe Ruth actually called his shot or if he was merely signaling that he had two strikes and one more chance to go. Some argue that Babe Ruth, after hitting the homer, only said that he had known it was coming to hype up his fans. Others argue that he called his shot. So the truth, nobody will ever know. Baseball fans may never, ever know. I don't think we'll ever really know. To me, he held up two fingers. I think it was, they do a lot of signaling in baseball. I think it was one of those things, any runners that were up. He called the shot. He called it. He, yeah, sure. He called the shots. I think it's just more of a coincidence. And because he hit such a home, like a historic home run in that game, he, of course, being a, a player, said, yeah, I called my shot. And it just kind of went down in history as him calling his shot. But. Huh. Also in baseball history, he is technically the reason behind a curse of the Boston Red Sox. So because they, but that curse has been broken. That curse was broken in two thousand four, and uh, won the World Series. But it wasn't. I think now I can't remember. I think it was like nineteen eighteen. Maybe I'm getting some of my baseball trivia. But they when he got traded to the Yankees for. Babe Ruth was traded to the Yankees for a Broadway show. So I didn't know what? that. Yes. What? I don't understand. Yeah. He was traded for the rights of like a show or something, something along those lines. Yeah. So he was traded and it said that because of that trade, which was the last year, the last year he played on the Red Sox was the last year they won a world series up through 
2004, which was a very memorable World Series. I remember watching it. I do remember seeing that. Yes. I remember seeing Jimmy Fallon and Moore <laughs> at the field and wondering why are they on the field with the players? Something that I just obviously don't understand. And then coming to realize that they actually were making a movie called they were filming. Which is about actually, the curse, yeah, about the curse. About the curse of the Red Sox. And it's actually, I think, a really cute, it's a rom-com movie, but it's really cute. And I think it's a really cool movie because they didn't know how the movie was going to end. They didn't realize that the Red Sox were going to right. make history and then win the World Series that year. So I yeah. think it's a pretty cool, pretty cool movie if nobody's ever seen it. It's Fever Pitch, Jimmy Fallon. Drew Barrymore. It is rom-com. It's like a chick flick, but you got a lot of good players in there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Johnny Damon was, which he's retired. <laughs> a lot of retired players now, but yeah. So there's some baseball trivia on there. I like the Red Sox. <laughs> so there you go. Good. good. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, so there's um, the history, unexplained mysteries, trivia was Babe Ruth's called shot. The rest was just baseball. Jeffy's favorite facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, Cass, you got a song for us this week? I do, I do. Um, I have another early 2000s. Actually, this one's kind of mid 2000s, so it's in the aughts. Um, but I don't know if mom and dad, you know, this song very well, Jesse, you probably know the song pretty well. Um, but, uh, it is party rock anthem by a band called yes. LMFAO. We played uh, this at our wedding. <laughs> the every day I'm shuffling. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know that it, it was everywhere. This band was super, super popular. They had this song. They had shots. They had a couple of really big songs at this time. Um, they kind of really uh, hyped up the like house techno um, songs and like genre into like mainstream media, dance songs really into mainstream media again. Um, and it was actually started by um, an uncle and a nephew. Um, the uncle was Red Fu, uh, also known as Stefan Gordy. Uh, and his nephew, or did I say uncle? Red Fu is the uncle. Sky Blue is the nephew. His name is Skylar Gordy. And they are actually the son and the grandson of Barry Gordon, who is a famous Motown producer. Right. Um, and they're only about 11 years apart. So when they first kind of like really got big, people kind of thought they were just two friends doing this together. Um, uh, but unfortunately, this is creepy facts about songs. And this is kind of, this is why they broke up. Um, so they were only big for about a year from 2011 to 2012. Uh, they were at their height that, you know, they were kind of everywhere. Like, uh, they just had done a Super Bowl performance with Madonna. Um, and then in 2012, September 2012, uh, Red Fu, the uncle, f- did a interview in, uh, from like an Australian media company saying that they were basically going their separate ways. They were going to go on an indefinite hiatus um, and that they had felt that they had just been doing it for too long um, and that they were, were just 
going in different directions. Um, and so everyone was kind of very confused. Again, this was like only really their second year of being popular. They had been doing this for about six years. Um, but still like they were, they were still kind of in their height. They were still touring. Um, and the person who was most confused about this was of course, Sky Blue, the nephew who said he had no idea this was happening. He posted about it saying, you know, we're not breaking up. This is just, you know, we're family, you know, uh, Red Foo is just going to go do some stuff and then we'll do something big with LMFAO. And to this day, they have never gotten back together. Um, Sky Foo, uh, Sky Blue has come forward to say that Red Foo basically decided to go take, basically take the LMFAO genre and do it by himself. He kind of cut Sky Blue out of the complete uh, group without any information. Sky Blue had had a back injury that kept him from doing a couple concerts. And he said after that, he had no contact with Red Foo for about a year until uh, or a couple months before this uh, interview happened. So it's really crazy that this band was like super big and like they were thought of as two friends. And then, and even the fact that they were family it makes it even worse that uh, the uncle basically tried to got popular through this band and then decided to drop his nephew and try He tried to do it by himself. Um, he did a couple like, reality show stuff like X Factor and uh, in Australia. I don't know really what Australia had to do with Red Foo. Again, his father is from Detroit, Motown. Like, I don't know why Australia was so such a big deal for him. Um, but he did X Factor in Australia. He tried to do Dancing with the Stars um, and nothing really came from that. So there was no reason for him to drop Sky at all. Um, but they are no longer together. They're no longer a band because of greed and selfishness yeah that you know that's sad that's too bad and it, it just and, makes and it worse that it's like I, his, it's family sky blue it's should go out and venture on his own and see how popular he gets because well, they have they both they both tried to basically go do singles like single releases and do their own record stuff but nothing's really hit all that well um I will say this is definitely a bit of that nepotism thing because like how are how do you this like the son and grandson of one of the biggest record company producers in the world and you still can't you can't get that like yeah you know you yeah, can't get that fame right. back yeah right you know, when, when this podcast on. takes off and the world knows us I might just ditch you guys I don't know <laughs> okay try to do it without us. <laughs> Let's see how that works. That wasn't very nice. No. no. Okay, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you... no, no, no. That's, I mean, that's it. That's I, it's it's a really sucky situation, unfortunately. Yes, it and it's still to this day. Like I know a lot of probably not like younger generations, but my generation, Jesse's generation, like their songs are still very much like on a lot of our playlists. Yeah. You know, there are a lot, a lot of, of like, it. especially like weddings and weddings, you know, like those kind yeah. of stuff. Right. Yeah. Like songs. Yeah. Right. And they'll be, I mean, you'll be able to get that record. It'll be a number one hit and gold. In oh, well, yeah, it already is. I mean, it is it, like that. They, they really haven't. I think they've they've done solo stuff and they've had some success, but it's just nowhere near what they had during this, you know, one like year. this yeah, yeah. year where they were a band together. 
Right. Of course, I've always thought that too. Like if I was a, a, a recording artist and I had that one really big hit song that made me famous, I'd be like, "Okay, I did that. Let's go on to something." You know what I mean? Like, um, who's the famous? I think um, it was. I think it was quite the opposite of that. Like, I think uh, Red Foo specifically really tried to like hold on to like that's like a lot of his songs after this, like even his style. Like he continued to have this like. Yeah early 2000s like very uh you know jersey shore uh miami like really bright colors animal prints like he continued to have that kind of style he was clear he was still trying to like hold on to that fame and it just wasn't right. working because everyone kind of was like all right well then do that with your partner right yeah. Yeah. and it could be that people thought well that was pretty crappy of him to do that <laughs> and come to find out that it's family and you ditched them because you thought that you could do better or do right. it without them, you know, and people don't, you know, people don't like to see that. I'm trying to think yeah. of the girl's name. Um, uh, what is it? Two non-blondes or you know, that group? Four non-blondes. Four non-blondes. Is that what it's called? Yeah. That doesn't sound right neither, but um, the I'm lead singer of that, you know what I'm talking about? And she was married to, um, well, whoever. But anyways, you know, they had that just monster, monster hit. She never even planned on having that hit. She just like, okay. And so she's off to, she mostly produces and stuff. And people are always like, when are you going to put something else out? She goes like, I already did that. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that one song. I don't know what song you're talking about. Yeah, I don't either. You know, Wait, morning, I'm step outside. Oh. Yeah, okay. Perfect yeah. song for a lobotomy. Song. Yeah. Great song. And she made her life's earnings off of that. And so I'm like, okay. Yeah, why not? I did that. <laughs> anyways. Anyways. We're getting off a little. <laughs> we're a little off, off schedule. So before I get started, please, um, I just want to remind everybody to hit that like button. Share us with all your friends. And please subscribe to our channel. We'd appreciate it. And I'll try to remember to tell you that later in the show, too. I think we need to say that every once in a while. <laughs> and if you, if you are watching this on YouTube, you can read the screen, too. Yes. Okay. All right. So are you guys ready for tonight's topic? Mm-hmm. Okay. So as you can see, I'm at a... Beautiful cabin on Lake Michigan, by the way. Oh, wish wow. I was. Oh. Doesn't that look beautiful? Yes, it does. I want you 90 probably degrees. Would never have thought that five people were murdered in this cabin. Mm. <laughs> yep. And so my story is about the Robison. Yep. Spelled the same. Uh, family yep. murders. Okay, okay. It seemed like we discussed this some time ago. Well, we have talked about them before, yes. but I don't think on a podcast. I don't, I don't think, think so. we talked about it here, yeah. No, right. not here. So, And um, we should just put it out there that these this family is of no relation. Right. No well, relation. You know just coincidental. That we know of. Yes, that correct. Know. <laughs> but anyways, let's get started. So uh, Richard was the father. Um, he was a very successful businessman, and he um, had an advertising, he was an advertising executive for his own business called, and I'm probably going to mess this name up, but Imperio. 
Um, he was married to Shirley, who was 40. Um, she was a uh, full-time homemaker and raised her children, which that's the way that happened back in the 60s. Uh, Richie was the oldest at 19. Gary was 16. Randall was 12. And Susan was 7. Uh, the Robinsons were a perfect picture family. Everybody thought they were just like the ideal family. Richard uh, worked really hard to make sure that he provided for his family so they could have the best life possible. Um, he was away a lot. He worked um, on business and uh, meeting with investors for his company. The family lived in um, Lathrop Village near Detroit. I may be saying that wrong, name wrong too, but um, every summer they the family would vacation at their cottage in northern Michigan near the city of Goodhart. And we all know where Goodhart's at. Um, just uh, way up on the Lake Michigan side. Um, yeah, it's by the Straits of Mackinac on the tippy well, top yeah. of the lower peninsula. Right. It's not at the tippy top, but it's close to there. Yeah. Okay, close um, enough. The cabin is fine. We're we're Michigan people, so what do Michigan people do when they say we're hey, where are you hold from? Hold up hey, hold up you, hand. You no, you versus the UP. Right. We're trolls because we're, we're under trolls. the bridge. We're under the bridge. <laughs> yeah, we are trolls. Well, you we guys are, are still trolls. I'm no longer a troll. Yeah. <laughs> You'll always be a troll. <laughs> Anyways, this beautiful cabin set um, on the side, right on the lake, and it was an ideal place for the family to escape and relax. Um, at the time, Goodhart uh, was, you know, just a sleepy little town. They had a, you know, a grocery store and a, a gas station, and that was just about the whole town, you know. Um, on June 18th, 1968, Richard packed up his family and headed the 257 miles to their cabin called Somerset. Um, they, their plan was to stay there for the three months of summer. So uh, they went there on the 18th. Um, they, you know, got settled. And on June 25th, Shirley went to visit a neighbor, um, neighboring family um, that... Um, the Bliss family and uh, Chauncey Bliss, his family actually built Somerset and they built many of the cabins around there. And um, he would be the caretaker of their cabin, like when they weren't there and take care of the cabin and the grounds. Um, and uh, just prior to this tragedy had struck the Bliss family uh, when their son was killed in a motorcycle accident. Oh. Part, yeah. Part of Shirley's um, reason for visiting them too was to, you know, offer condolences for the death of their son. But she also gave them $20 to go towards flowers for the funeral. Um, and also on that visit, she informed them that you know, don't be worried if you don't see us around because we're heading to Florida. We're going to be down there for a couple of weeks. Um, so, um, you know, don't worry if you don't see us around. So um, on that same 20, uh, June 25th, Russell Fig was the gardener, and he had worked all day on the grounds and um, had planned on 
actually returning the next day to finish up his work. But Richard had come out to him and paid him for his work and um, told him that they would be leaving and that um, the only other two people that Russell seen around that day were two of their sons. And they just kind of seen him walking in the distance. And he, he recalled feeling that something really seemed off with them, you know. So um, on the evening of the 25th, a bullet entered the front window and hit Richard. The unknown assailant then entered the cabin and one by one took a gun and killed each member of the family. And uh, what did Richard do for a living? Well, he owned his own business and it was a, um, he owned two businesses actually. And um, one was a uh, advertising agency. And so they did a lot of advertising work for that. He was a big executive, you know, mm -hmm. um, and he, they were fairly wealthy people, obviously. Um, so um, so the assailant was able to escape without anybody seeing them because it was a very secluded area. And the uh, following morning, when Russell came back to finish his work that he was going to do, he brought his assistant with him and um, there was nobody around, but he thought it was odd that both of their cars were in the driveway. Um, and he also noticed that there was a hole in the front window, but somebody had placed some cardboard over it. So again, he felt really uneasy, but he remembered Richard telling them that they were gonna he was gonna hire a small plane to take them to Florida. Um, so you know, it kind of made sense that both <laughs> were there, and also on the front door was just a, a piece of paper that somebody had written on there back 7-10, July 10th, Robison's, and that's all it said. But it was it was um, on the front door. So it wouldn't be in for another 27 days. 27 days later, um, the neighbors contacted Cha Chauncey because um, he took care of the cabins. Um, and... Um, they notified him that there was a really horrible smell coming from the cabin. He assumed that there was probably a dead animal in there, you know, so he kind of, you know, went over there to check it out. He knew that they were gone on vacation, you know. Um, so um, he went back to investigate it. Um, he was really concerned when he looked in the window and he it appeared like maybe the family was back, you know. So and I'm not sure, didn't exactly say what he's seen, but it appeared that they were there. So um, he went to the front door, but nobody would answer. So he decided to pry the door open and look inside. And when he walked in, he was met by Shirley laying on the floor with a blanket over her. Um, but her, it was, she had a blanket over her, but her clothing was kind of like pulled up. Kind of, it was odd. So he immediately went and got the deputy of Emmett City. And um, they came back, and the reports show that the bodies were all through the house. They weren't in one place. A blanket was placed over Shirley, which is odd. Somebody killed her and then placed a blanket over top of her. Um, Richard was shot. They all were shot in the head. Uh, but Richard was shot, and he had a blunt force trauma to his head. And uh, there was possibly by a claw hammer that was found nearby 
So somebody had literally shot him and killed, hit him over the head with this hammer. Um, all were found with bullet wounds. But again, Susan, the youngest, who's only seven, she also showed um, blunt trauma to the head, blunt force trauma to the head. So Randall's body, who was, uh, let's see, I think he was a 12-year-old, he was laying on top of Richard, like maybe somebody shot him, like he was over him, and then somebody shot him and he fell onto him. But he also had a blanket over him. So that was kind of strange. Um, they did an op autopsy on all of them at the time, and they they all had bullet wounds to the head. But then in November, so that would have been in June, in November, they decided to go back and do autopsies again, and they found bullet wounds in two bullet wounds in the bodies of Richard and um, I can't remember, one of the other ones. Um, the only real evidence they found at the scene was a bloody footprint. <coughs> um, but that appeared to come from Chauncey. Um, but of course, he was kind of, he was the one that found them. Although it, he didn't really go through the house and find all the other people. He just left and went and got the police when he seen Shirley. So, but obviously he had been in the house because one of his footprints was in the blood. Um, so he became a suspect, uh, suspect right off the bat um, because of that. And also he had a lot of knowledge of the cabin and the properties because his family had built it in the past. And they kind of built the whole area. Um, um, he was also known, known to be very, very upset with Shirley for offering to give them $20 for flowers for the death of their son. He, he was insulted by that, you know. And I'm not sure if they didn't go to the funeral or if they didn't bother sending flowers and afterwards kind of said, oh, here's $20. You know, he was very upset about that, um, angry about that. And he um, also kind of never got over the death of his son. Like They'd find him wandering around, like yelling at his son who was already dead. And so they thought maybe he maybe kind of flipped out on them. Um, uh, the After 27 days, the bodies were really heavily... Um, decomposed, so they really couldn't get an exact time and date of the deaths, um, but they figured it happened on the 25th. Um, several of Richard's um, employees were interviewed um, from his business in Detroit, um, and he, one of the secretaries recalled that uh, Richard and his assistant having a really heated argument just before Richard left for this vacation about um, like $200,000 that were missing in the funds. Um, Joseph, I'll probably mess this up to Scarlio III, age 30, lived in Birmingham, and he had worked for Richard since 1960. Um, Joseph was um, an Army veteran, but he was known, he had a reputation of being a con man. Um, he was also known to be very bad with money. The investigators interviewed him like 12 times, and the inconsistencies in his stories put him kind of at the top of the suspect's list. Um, Joseph claimed that um, on the 25th that day, he went to a plumber's convention there in Detroit, and he stayed there till 5. And then after that, he went to the Robinson's family home 
um, and worked on a leak in the plumbing and stayed there and didn't get to his back to his home until 11 at night. And his wife confirmed that he had gotten home at 11. However, through investigations, they found they interviewed you know as many people as they could at this convention, and nobody remembered him being there. So he, they really didn't have any proof that he actually went to this uh, convention. Uh, they also figured it took about four and a half hours to get from Detroit to Goodhart. So what have kind of left him enough time to come and, you know, go do that, then come back and be home by 11. So um, um, he failed two lie detector tests. And um, the third one was, you know, inconclusive. They couldn't make sense of it. So um, things didn't look good for Joseph. Um, he also, Joseph, he owned four registered firearms, and three of them, uh, he had one with him, and three of them he claimed to have given away to people, and one of them was to Richard. And um, and that one that he supposedly gave to Richard fit the ammo of the gun that killed them all. It was a twenty-two caliber. Um, that was has never been found. So... Um, that also didn't look good. Also, through the investigations, they found that Joseph had given himself and his employees these really big, generous raises and um, also signed some really large checks that were not authorized by Richard. You know, So um, that could possibly be a motive for the killings. Um, so, you know, it kind of proved that he was, they were trying to prove that he was embezzling money from the company and maybe Richard found out about this, and that's what, you know, caused him to kill them. So, um, that happened in It sounds very fishy. Um, it's definitely a good motive. Good yeah. motive. In 1970, they happened in 1968. In 1970, the police put together a report and submitted it to the prosecutor of Emmett County, uh, but the prosecutor refused to to um, charge Joseph because he thought there was lack of evidence and there was no, you know, gun. They couldn't find the gun. There was no, no uh, eyewitnesses. There was really nothing to go by other than, you know, circumstantial evidence and suspicions. So, um, he, and most of the people at the time really believed that, that that county just couldn't afford to have a big, lengthy trial lengthy trial so they just kind of said we're not going to press charges you know unless we have some real evidence they didn't want to put the money forth and then not convict them so but but in 1972 the um oakland county which is where richard lived uh, they uh put together and decided to um process or pull, bring charges against Joseph for embezzlement and six murders. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, they thought, well, if we, they don't want to get it, we'll, we'll go take care of it. And they had the they had really good grounds for embezzlement. Um, in March of 1973, however, Joseph was found dead in his office of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And on the door to the office, he had wrote a note for his mother like, do not come in, you know, this here. And so she called the police. And by when the police got there, he had written a note that was found by his body. And uh, um, it 
uh, it just said, you know, I had the note was left in the set stating that he had nothing to do with the Robinson's death. He said, I'm a liar, but not a murderer. So other theories that came up were um, Richard had ties to the mafia. And one of his neighbors claimed that he had a debt, a monthly debt, to the mafia for $12,000. So, you know, that could have got out of hand. He could have maybe was trying to escape that or maybe he was back on his payments. So that is a possibility. There's a mafia. Um, another uh, suggestion was there was a guy at the time, there was a man called John Norman Collins, and he was known as the Michigan murderer. And he, um, he, um, people thought maybe he was responsible for that. Um, Richard, Richie and John went to the same university. So they kind of thought, well, you know, maybe. Was it Michigan University? Because, um, you know, a lot of serial yeah. killers come out right. of Michigan University. Well, they thought maybe, they didn't know if Rich, Richie and John knew each other, but maybe John had just through meeting other people thought this guy's dad's got a lot of money, you know, and, you know, tried to do that. Um, also, um, through the investigation, um, there was many accounts in his uh, businesses that were erratical. You know, they were they seemed odd the way they charged the, um, different clients and what they were charging. And his biggest client was a name a guy named Harry Ford, and he was consistently extremely overcharged for the services he got, and okay. that made them think that maybe there was a lot some money laundering going on through his business. So they that kind of went back to him being in the mafia and really his business was laundering money. You know? Mm-hmm. Also there was a prisoner that was in the system at the time who claimed to have, you know, been there present and um been part of their murders. The um well, this definitely feels like a uh multiple person thing. My like next I- thing was the investigators who um, did the investigations all said that this was a multiple person. You know, there was more mm-hmm. than one involved. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what the sad part is, after Joseph's death, he committed suicide, um, they just really marked the case inactive, and that's where it lays today. So nobody was ever really right. charged of him. You know, they, they still are pretty certain that it was... Um, uh, Joseph, but they, and do you know, think that it and he's dead? So what's the point of proving it? Right, know? and who's to say that the mafia didn't um, stage Joe's death? Exactly. So that it, uh, I was gonna say I. I mean, I wouldn't say that there's no motive for Joseph, but again, this sounds like a multiple person thing, and it does kind of sound like a hit, like you know, hitting Richard. First of all being able to hit Richard through a window into the house (laughs) through the head uh, and then to then go in and kill everybody with a shot to the head. That sounds very mafia ish or very much like a hit. This was like a hit paid hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And you know, all of them could have been involved, you know, the mafia, Joseph could have been part of the mafia, you know, they got it. Well, and Joseph might've found out that, that, uh, about the mafia and um and brought 
brought up to their attention that he was going to turn them in and, you know, killed Joseph, but made it look like Joseph did it and right. get the mafia off of their backs. And then, but really the mafia did it because and the, even the neighbor, even the neighbor Bliss, you know, his family had owned that house and um, he took care of it. And I'm sure he felt like, you know, here's this rich guy I'm taking care of. And this is our family. How, you know, there could have been a lot of things like that. Mm -hmm. And after his son was murdered, he's, you know, you're not thinking straight and he's angry about life. And I mean, all of it could have happened, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So anyways, scenarios. anyways, it's a horrible story. And Crystal yes. pictures yeah. that you can look at. And I'm sure it was like the news of the day at the time. So right. But um it just goes never gets solved and it's just laying out there. <laughs> yeah. And the whole family. Can you imagine? I know. Right. That's pretty uncommon back. I thought I thought the blankets on the two people were very odd. I mean, yeah, murder well, that shows murder. guilt. That shows like some sort of emotional guilt or like those two people. I don't know why. I mean, obviously the mom makes sense, but didn't they have a daughter too? So like, he felt yeah, like the maybe daughter, the daughter was naked in the face and then shot. Yeah, right, right, right. The daughter was the one who had a head blunt. So right, maybe. right. That's what I mean. Like. The so, blankets show some sort of guilt, but it seems like an odd version of it. Yeah. I mean, I hit a seven-year-old over the head with a hammer, but I'm going to put a blanket over the 12-year-old. It just, I don't know. It was weird. And I thought it was odd that the the bodies were all through the cabin. Like, mm -hmm. don't you think if the father got shot, the family would come running to him? They'd kind of right. all be in that place. Or even after, right. okay, that happened. Now the mother gets shot. Those kids, it seems like the kids would come running there, but they were all in separate places. We or try to leave the house, huh? Or try to leave the house, right? Or try running, right? Right. One was in the hallway, but other than that, everybody was like in their bedrooms. You know, kind of. I mean, it looked like probably that Randall, the one that had the blanket on him, probably. <laughs> went to his dad after he got shot to kind of like right. help him or just see what's right. going on. And then he got shot. You know what I mean? Right. But, yeah. It's very odd. Very odd. Very spooky. Like I want to drive out of this cabin now. Whatever happened to the cabin? I mean, the family. Well, I think it's filled with ghosts now. Yeah. You can't buy it, mom. No. I don't. Yeah, we are not buying another cabin, so don't even think about it. <laughs> but it's on like you Mich have your own little wooden cabin. <laughs> but it's on Lake Michigan. It's on Lake Huron. We'll come back. Good enough. Wooden cabin. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, you found two of those already. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so that's my story for tonight. Yes, that's interesting. It is really interesting it that is. it, you know. Same last name, same spelling, same, you know, everything. And yet we have no relation to them, but they are from Michigan, from, you know. Yeah. Seems odd. But I do remember when we were up in Hale, 
Michigan. No, not Hale, Michigan. Hart, Michigan. Sorry. Like so when we would go to Silver Lake. Silver Lake Sandu, right. And um, I don't know if it like what did we go to? Um, well, I can't remember what city we'd, we'd go school shopping. And I remember they had like prop like old textbooks in the, the store that we were at. And like one of them had the name Robinson in there. And we were all freaking out about it because that was like, I think the first time that we'd ever run across somebody with the same well, last name. Because where this is at, if you went up the coast, which we always mm -hmm. did in the Jeep. Right. And that, right. Was in, that was in Manistee. Manistee. Yeah. So it's not, I guess it's not that far from so, where No, this it is. wouldn't be far from where so they probably went to well, school. They didn't go to school there. there, though. They, they just. No. No. But still, like family members. And stuff. But I know when I used to. They work probably got paper, donated after the murders. Yeah. I remember when I used to work for the paper, I interviewed a teacher at one of the local school districts. And her last name was. It is, I don't know, maybe was Robinson. And so we had a whole discussion about that, but she had married into the family. So she really had no background information. There are, on that. There are quite a few Robinsons throughout Michigan that we don't know. Yeah. I'm always well, I don't quite a few Robinsons. I just, I don't yeah. know any Robinsons. No, I don't either. But we just watched, we just over the weekend had a Chronicles of Narnia marathon. And there is, I think, I can't remember the first name, but there was, I think, Barry, a Barry Robinson that worked on the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, no. Wow. I'm always, somebody's always coming up to me and telling me, like, are you related to the Robinsons that live, you know, in Saginaw? Yeah. Or, you know, like, I don't know any of them, but I'm always running into people who claim to know Robinson. So, yeah. Yeah. I always want to say it's Robinson. That's what I was just going to ask. Is that is is Robinson how they pronounce it, or is that why people always pronounce it? I don't know. Maybe they went by Robinson. I don't know. Maybe they went by Robinson. I'm always you sure it's not Robertson? Yeah. 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 Robinson? Robinson? I'm like, no, I know how to say my name. I know how to say my last name. <laughs> right. But maybe we don't. Maybe we don't. Maybe we're <laughs> Maybe we're mispronouncing our own last name. <laughs> Interesting. Anyways, yeah. Do they have any other, like, I mean, was there any, obviously not surviving family from immediate, but like uncles, uh, brothers? Well, no, I, I didn't say anything on them, you know, hmm. about that. But um, um, what was I going to say? Also, just in the area, it seems creepy that a whole family got killed. I mean, like, maybe in Detroit that would happen, but up there in that secluded area. And then they were oh. there for 27 <laughs> days. And everybody. Well, I was about to say, have you ever been into a secluded part of Michigan? Like that's probably the easiest place to murder somebody yeah, yeah, and yeah. get away with it. There Twenty-seven days before anybody knows. Yeah, no one's gonna check up on you. Was the smell. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's not right on another cabin, so yeah, that smell right. had to carry a long ways. Northern Michigan is very, very like spread out, and yeah. right, right. I remember Matt and I. We did our like we did our like circle tour of Michigan, um, the upper peninsula and um, some of the lower peninsula. And we ran over a piece of metal on the road. It was on the coast of the lower peninsula, but it took us a half hour. Like we could hear in the car with it running, hear the air coming out of the tire. And it took us a half hour to find a repair shop. And I think it, we paid like, 
like I like an ungodly amount to for them to like patch it. Where like if we would have done it like locally, it would have been like a twenty bucks, you know, to fix it. Three probably. Well, oh, it depends three. on the piece of metal, but yeah. Um, because I think we got lucky because it didn't like we didn't need a new tire or anything like that. They patched it, but it's like we were like we're gonna be on a flat tire or having to change a tire before we find something because we it was so far away and they're like are you sure you want to do it with us and we're like where else are we supposed to go like where where is there to go i i remember like a lot of my like summer trips up to the up when we would do like road trips up there um like there were so many times where you would like get into the up and you're like i should have got gas because there's gonna be no gas on this whole thing and then i remember it was like when i was with michaela and janelle i think and, like, we were, like, on E for a while. I'm, like, we need to find a gas station. <laughs> and yeah. I think we pulled into, like, some, like, literally old school, like, the, like, pumps were, like, the, like, little, like, stands with the circle on top. And I was just, like, do yeah. you have gas? I don't know. Is this a gas station? <laughs> and this was, like, probably 2000 and it, like, 8 to 10. And this was, like, $4 gas. And I was, like, oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. Now it doesn't seem crazy, but then I was like, oh my God, four dollars. Right. Right. But um back to the the murders. Um, has it been looked at since then? Like the one that I did, it had been looked at by many, many people, and a lot of the ones that we have um worked on, they've been opened and closed and opened and closed. This is not inactive. They didn't close it. It's just inactive since 1973. Wow. You know, I do wonder. Because the whole family got killed, there's really nobody pushing them to do anything either. Well, I was just going to say, I do wonder if because the bodies were so decomposed and you couldn't tell who probably died first, you know, could this have been like a murder-suicide? That's what I well, was always thinking, too. Now, I don't but, think that, but I do think, how do they know the bullet entered and it shot him and then they went Right, in? right. How do they know that, you know? Because even, like, maybe it was and, like, whoever found them was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. We need to, like, like cover the bodies, the bodies that they could see. They probably didn't even know the other two children were in their rooms. And then... uh like took the guns, made it look like it was a like a somebody like in home invasion kind of thing, just to like alleviate well, some uh, of the guilt from somebody. Um, the mother, her clothes were kind of like pulled up, like somebody was gonna try to make this look like a sex crime, you know, mm-hmm. which was odd too, you know. Then they put a blanket on her. It but was like they- thought it was weird. Make this look like somebody tried to rape her. You know, she had no, right. um, they couldn't tell if anybody did, but they, and they really didn't suspect that. They just thought somebody maybe tried to make And her they rape. probably didn't get any kind of evidence like DNA or anything no, back no, there. So decomposed. And they were so, yeah, decomposed that. Because yeah. you got to remember, this is summer. Yeah. You know, they were in that cabin in the middle of summer of Michigan. Like, I'm sure it was hot. Seven days. Yeah. Well, that's awful. That's awful. 
And to think that maybe they were alive and ended up suffering. Well, they were shot in the head. Well, I know, but you could still live if you're shot in the head. Yeah, but I don't think they had any evidence that showed they were trying to, you know, like walk or, you know, trying to be safer. They all just kind of seemed to die. Blood trails. Yeah. Yeah. But I did kind of think that that um, um, neighbor probably was in the house. You know, he claimed he just seen her and went and got the police mm-hmm. because there was a bloody footprint that matched his. And, you know, naturally you'd want to look through the house. You wouldn't just close the door and run, you know. I mean, yeah, you may, right. maybe would have been afraid that that murderer was still in there or something. I don't know. But, you know, it just seemed odd. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. And that's where the blankets come from. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was trying to, like, that's true. hide the bodies while he was walking through in, like, a, in like a, I don't want to see this kind of way. Or Not in like just, a, just out of uh, evidence. The right, right, right. Like a thing. But then he probably didn't want to tell the police that. He probably just, you know, right. Like, he probably didn't want to bring any suspicion onto himself saying that right. he, like, walked through the house. Right, right. So. Mm-hmm. I will say that um, the Joseph Scalario or Scalario, um, it's not that he doesn't have motive. It just doesn't seem like it was a one person thing. And it doesn't seem like this was clearly a, a planned hit or like an experienced hit. Like this wasn't just like somebody like walking into a house with a family. Like you said, like, if there's just gunshots going off, people are going to be running. Children are going to go out to the hallways. Right, right. Like, right. This was clearly a well-executed hit. I don't think some random person who is going to plumbing conferences is yeah. doing this. He probably, I don't, you know, who knows, but it feels like maybe he was, he was the person that did it, but maybe the mafia was helping. It's, he, they probably were in connection with him as he was embezzling money from him. You know? well, I was, oh, well, maybe he also was also in debt, or I mean, if Richard he was, was in he debt. He was in a lot of debt. Maybe, well, maybe Joseph was in debt with the mafia, and they were like, all right, you're going to do this thing for us, and we'll pay off some debt. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. So maybe he... When that big argument that he had, Richard had with Joseph, maybe Joseph was um, working with the mafia to embezzle money out of there, and he found out, and you know, maybe, yeah, could be. Who knows? Who knows? Interesting. Sad, sad. I know. Whole family wiped out. And how no other family members are curious of what happened or did they know yeah. that he did they know that they were in the mafia and didn't want to get involved for fear of their own families. Right, right. If Richard had family, they probably were in the mafia too. They were like, eh, walk away. And probably if they really were in the mafia, that's why the police probably just dropped the case because they knew this was a mafia hit. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Could be. I mean, you don't you don't mess with the mafia, right? Well, you, you know, the police, 
the police protected the mafia. Well, they got paid off by the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. They, so the prosecutor, Connie, probably didn't want to press charges because he was probably was paid off. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? That's right. all um, for entertainment well, like, purposes only. Right. Um, but um, who knows? Right. Well, I can I can see. I mean, this is like a a small town. You know, I can see the courts being like, we don't have enough evidence to do a trial. And this would to, wipe to us even, out financially. Well, I mean, to even like find a jury, you're not going to be able to find a jury who doesn't either know the Robinsons or, you know, is it hasn't heard about what's going on because it's small town gossip well, about a probably, family who's been murdered. Probably, and it may have been the case with the Bliss. It's such a small little community. Here's this wealthy family thinking they are just going to walk in. And, you know, like, there's probably a lot of jealousy going on. Like, yeah, big Maybe. rich come in here and, you know, who knows? Nobody wants to get involved with the mafia. But Richard did do a lot of traveling, was out of town and meetings, and they would line up with being in the mafia, you know. But it is a beautiful cabin on Lake Michigan. It, it may not be there anymore because of uh, all the ones that fell into the lake. Yeah, I'm sure it's not. Like especially along that area, any little cabin they would have knocked down and put up a huge, you know, billion dollar. Well, not just that. It's just the coast is deteriorated so much that. Um, the sand, yeah, yeah. The sand is into the water. Well, we're just gonna have to check it out. It's not that far. Yeah. yeah. Take a take a little road trip. I'm ready for a road trip when the when the weather breaks. Mm -hmm. I want I want warm. I'm ready for 80s. Too cold for me. Especially when you're going out to the bus stop in the morning. Don't be rolling your eyes at me. Mm. All right, guys. Anything uh, you guys want to share with us this week? Well, again, you guys, um, I, we appreciate you, you know, looking us up and sharing, spending some time with us. Make sure that you hit that like button. Share with all the people that you know and um, subscribe to our channel. We'd appreciate it. And feel free to contact us at the Family School of Thought and cast. Quit laughing at me. You laugh every time I do that. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just making sure you're doing it right. <laughs> you always have this giggly laugh. Anyways. Um, I guess that's all we have for you this week. So, um, look forward to seeing you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Alexa played the Family School of Thought.